Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. This is Zenith, that podcast where all we're doing is sitting up in a tree because this week we watched Duel. Written by Terry Nation. Directed by Douglas Camfield. And aired on February 20th, 1978. Yeah, so, we're like more than halfway through the first season of the show already. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it is. It's going by really fast, mainly because it's a pretty, pretty good show. <laughs> and you know we're on uh, series three of of reboot Doctor Who for our other podcasts, so you know this one is sort of a just a breath of fresh air or relief, something you actually look forward to after uh, you know the uh, yeah give it series three shenanigans. Give it two months. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, duel probably one of the most beloved episodes of all of Blake Seven. Yeah, apparently, according to you, I didn't know that until. This well, morning. yeah, I mean, I looked up some reception stuff for this, and it was all pretty positive. Uh, this is my favorite episode so far, by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it. I didn't think it was the best episode so far. Still Time Squad for me, probably. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this one has so many cool things in it. It has Travis. Yeah, but it's also got some classic Terry Nation dialogue <laughs> sprinkled through basically everything Travis says in this episode is like super Terry Nation. Yeah, this I, that's something I actually noticed too. This script doesn't feel like it was cleaned up by Chris Boucher nearly as much as, say, last week or, you know, just any of the weeks before, <laughs> save for maybe like the way back. Well, except Avon's lines, I, I, mean, I guess. Even Avon's lines, just they don't have that snappy natural feeling not even natural because chris boucher's dialogue doesn't really even feel natural either Mm -hmm. it just feels a a lot quicker and more witty i guess Mm -hmm. anyway it starts with um two characters we've never seen before who look very blue in this opening scene they they look blue in this one scene so uh but they look completely normal after this so i didn't know what was up with that you know you know, maybe they were, they're aliens, obviously, so maybe they were, maybe they can change their appearance. Maybe they were trying to look more human for Travis and Blake. Maybe it was just some weird lighting effect when they were filming the first scene. <laughs> the final copy comes out like, oh God, they look blue in the first scene. What are we going to do? But like, we don't have time to reshoot it. Just just ship it. Just just pack it up and ship it. I'm like, oh God, uh, Cinefar isn't even wearing a bra. What are we going to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a bit impossible not to notice. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been very cold wherever <laughs> they were filming. But it looks like she's got, like, green lipstick on, too, which is just with the blue face... Blue face. I was going to say blue face makeup, but we don't even know if it was makeup, so the blue face. It really looks like they actually did something to make them blue intentionally and then just either forgot or stopped caring <laughs> after the first scene. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> anyway, this is Cinefar, like we mentioned, and... Um, Girok. Yeah, uh, Girok. Girok is sort of an, a wise... Well, <laughs> not not wise, but just old. Just an old lady, and Cinefar is a young lady. Who, who, based on the ending of the episode, is probably wiser than Girok. Yeah, Girok's just there to moan and complain, really. And spur on the violence. She's just like, I didn't choose to, to have this power given to me yeah they they both have titles i forgot what they were but there's some cryptic dialogue about their titles here in this first scene and they see some well they're looking up at the stars and they see ships Mm -hmm. and they're like oh cool yeah 
And they're like, we got to do some stuff. And they're like, why? Yeah, most of the dialogue here is pretty cryptic. You don't really know what's going on. And then we cut to one of the most questionable space shots of this entire show so far, which is the three pursuit ships that Travis ordered in, I guess, seek, locate, and destroy, just sitting completely <laughs> still in space. This is yeah, just okay. a completely still shot okay. with no motion at all anywhere on screen. <laughs> just wait till we get to the shootout, you know? <laughs> I, I was actually surprised because that shootout is just extremely just low budget and not even done visually on screen in any way, yet somehow manages to be just absolutely great. It's great because it's low budget. But yeah, this shot was just completely stationary. And I was just like, wow. Well, a lot of the Liberator shots are too. You know, the Liberator... Not, you know, in, this, you know, not you, in this story. Not in this story, but you see the Liberator move a lot. Yeah. So it's not stationary in that sense, but it doesn't look... It, it doesn't look like natural movement. It sort of just looks like someone stringing along, which they are. <laughs> yeah, but at least it's moving. <laughs> this was just actually just looks like someone took a picture of three ships photoshopped them onto a space background and then just called it good hey you don't know what kind of technology they have maybe they can just float completely motionless i just not floating because they're in space but you know you know what i mean anyway yeah, but it just looked wrong <laughs> anyway travis is apparently commanding all three fleets so we only see one room with like three people in it <laughs> and uh he has this companion and she's a mutoid. At first, you don't know like what she is. You're just like, oh, is she an android? Is she a robot? Cyborg? You know, what is she? But she's a mutoid, um, which are apparently mutants or just modified humans. Actually, I don't think we ever even learn exactly what they are, but... I think they're modified. It's yeah. implied that they're modified because the mutoid explains that humans call them vampires, but they call humans unmodified, so... Yeah, and there's some <clears throat> back... I don't know if it's really backstory stuff, but there's the mutoid later says that you know she doesn't have her memories from before. So yeah, we get some great Terry Nation dialogue here, which, <laughs> where Travis is like, "I understand your need for blood plasma, but do you have to do it on the bridge?" Yeah, because she she opens up her chest plate or whatever and puts sort of a, a long green cylinder, and and this is where I have to mention Eureka Seven or Eureka Seven is how they actually pronounce it, which is a, an anime series and probably one of my favorite. TV series of all time that's actually heavily inspired by Blake 7. And I'm mean, trying not to mention it because I can just go on and on about it. And I don't want it to like take over the show. But this episode in particular um, is where I really saw the influence. So a lot of this stuff is, is is later taken. Concepts from this are taken a lot into consideration in that show. So, I mean, I don't know if it, probably no one listening to this watches anime or even cares. But, you know, if you do or if you want to check it out, Eureka 7, pretty good show. All right. I'll never watch it because I don't watch anime. <laughs> So, that's all on you, buddy. It's like Crime and Punishment plus Blake 7. What? What? <laughs> yeah, really. Pride but yeah, the, the green... Zombies. <laughs> the green cylinder is, like, uh, an important image in that, and so is, like, the, the shootout is, like, it from this is, like, taken and done, I guess, better in, in that. Although yeah, that's not well, hard. It's anime, <laughs> so... Do it on half the budget. Anyway, now we cut back to the Liberator. We're not back for the first time. 
Yeah, they're having some quote-unquote witty banter. <laughs> and Jenna's wearing a, a sort of space-themed outfit, so, you know, perfect for space. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much the coolest outfit so far on the on the Jenna outfit watch. So. Well, it's, I mean, it's been this, the uh, the jumpsuit. Actually, has she worn a jumpsuit? I don't, I don't remember. And, uh, you know, the floral pattern thing, so, you know. Hey... <laughs> I when they cut to the liberator, Avon is sitting in what is quite possibly the most uncomfortable position on the <laughs> show so far. Because the <laughs> You know, there's the little lounge area in front of like all the control panels that we mentioned or I mentioned last week. And Avon's uh, this is the first episode where I noticed the lounge actually curves around. And so Avon's sitting on it facing towards Blake, but then he's got his head turned to look at the screen, which is directly behind him, and it looked like he just was in the most painful position he's ever had to be in. Well, I didn't notice that at all, but uh, all right. It's like, man, it really sucks that they made Paul Darrow do that. Because <laughs> he, he also, like, instantly just turns around. Look, he had such a relief on his look of relief on his face, like, thank God. <laughs> anyway, pretty much all the characters have at least one line of dialogue in this uh in this scene here and i was like even zen and i was like are they just giving them these lines because these are going to be their only lines in the episode but no this episode actually did a pretty good job of distributing their lines kind of evenly you know it was mostly villa and avon uh apart from blake but you know yeah. gan had a few Callie had like one line in the whole episode Callie had, but her line was great <laughs> Was it it's, really? Yeah, it's better to be on the move in situations like these. It's a great line. <laughs> Callie really got the shortest end of the stick in this episode. Well, her, she and Gan. I mean, Gan talked quite a bit. Well, I mean, after that initial scene, you know, where he went back to the ship and just didn't do anything after that. Well, he says a couple things later when the people are fighting. Callie doesn't really say anything during that. You could just see yeah. her standing awkwardly in the background. Yeah. But anyway, as usual, Avon gets, you know, the most of it. <laughs> and, and Villa, actually, you know, Villa does get a surprising amount of lines, not only in this, but just in the entire show in general so far, at least. Yeah. So they're like... This, this is an episode, I think, that people point to for, like, the supposed Villa and Avon friendship. But, you know, I don't really see it. <laughs> uh, uh... <laughs> Seems more like vague antagonism, if anything. <laughs> It seems like Avon hates everyone, really, including himself. <laughs> no, no, actually it, does. actually, it doesn't. Based on his dialogue at the end of the episode, or near the end, <clears throat> just seems like he has an extremely hard time showing human emotion. Uh, anyway, Blake's like, well, let's just recharge in the shadow of this planet. Anybody want to come down to the planet? And, and then Jenna's like, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> Hell yeah. Does Going really, down to the planet with Blake? Yes. Did she really volunteer? Or, or yeah, if, I, I, if remember. I remember correctly, Blake, I mean, Blake asks everyone else if they want to go. But if I remember correctly, he doesn't actually ask Jenna. She just goes, yeah, I'll go. Huh. All right. Gan goes too. I don't know if he goes willingly or not. Well, Blake just kind of comes over. He's like, Gan? Gan's like, yeah, I want to come. And he's like, Villa. And Villa's like, nope, I'll stay here. <laughs> I don't think Blake actually even offers to Avon. Or Callie, now that I think about it. They're just kind of like, uh, guess we'll stay here. Yeah. So they make Villa man the, the teleporter again. That's gone so well in the past. <laughs> he does fall asleep in, later on, doesn't he? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because they go down to the planet, and they're there for all of maybe five minutes. Gan notices Cinefar and 
Gerak. Gerak, yeah. They see some some ruins, and uh, you know the ruins look pretty uh, creepy. It's sort of a, a statue. Um, looks sort of like a, a warlike figure or whatever. And Gan is like, "Oh, look, maybe this was a symbol of peace." Or maybe Jenna says that. I don't remember, but I just remember thinking it was kind of a dumb idea because of how just warlike the ruins looked. But again, you don't really get a good sh- a good uh, shot or view of the ruins. Blake points out the 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 painted backdrop. Yeah, <laughs> the cemetery outside, which looks like he's just standing up against a painted backdrop. <laughs> Which he is. You know, like, oh, God, a graveyard that goes on for miles. <laughs> really looks like it just goes off a couple inches, Blake. <laughs> anyway, this is where Gan notices Cinefar and Girok, and uh, he mentions that his limiter is malfunctioning or something. He's like, if my limiter is not malfunctioning, I definitely saw some people. This is, I think, the first time we see Jenna's jumpsuit. But uh, anyway. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, Maybe I think so. Maybe we've seen it once before. It's she, like she pinky really, purple. I mean, she hasn't really gone down to any planets, so I don't know when she would have. We would have seen it. Yeah. Um, but they can't find Cinefar and Girok again. They sort of just disappeared into the distance. Then they look up into space and can somehow see these ships flying towards the Liberator. <laughs> well, Cinefar and Girok were also able to see the ships. Yeah, so. but they're like all-powerful gods, so I let that one slide. I mean, they're not really all-powerful gods. They're like just a more powerful species. They seem kind humans. of way overpowered. I mean, they can, I mean, like, stop the o- ships. They can turn off all of the electronics in the ships. They can teleport people using their mental powers. Yeah, that was one thing I, I mentioned in the very first scene, or that I noticed in the very first scene, is that this is definitely <coughs> the most fantasy or just mystical thing on the show so far, you know? There's been sort of fantastical stuff, like Callie's a psychic, and so is Zen, I guess. But most of it's been... Uh, if if not like hard sci-fi and like pretty grounded and like all right this could actually you know happen they don't really go too much into the tech but it's it's stuff that you could imagine happening in the future mm-hmm. um, whereas this is is a lot more fantastical which yeah. I I didn't really mind I mean I'm sure that probably bothered some people but it didn't bother me so they teleport back up to the ship and <laughs> this this is the start of probably the best part of the episode which is the shootout Blake just busts into the the. The bridge, I guess, yelling at people are moving. Avon's like, what's going on? You haven't even explained what's going on. It's like, there's three pursuit-class ships on our tail. Or I don't remember what the ships are actually called. They're the most advanced ships in the Federation fleet. Yeah. <coughs> this is the only... I read that this is the only uh, time Travis appears without Servalan. Hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So... Do you know what happens with, with Travis? No. The, okay. The behind-the-scenes so, thing? Nope. Okay, never mind. So. <laughs> Darn, it's going to be really hard not talking about that. Well, you're going to have to try. Uh, this is what I have to deal with on Trusted Doctor <laughs> every week. <laughs> Make vague references to things without tr- spoiling it. We're trying not to. So, they, they're in this space battle, which... And by space battle, I mean I really mean let's all look at the the view screen and watch the giant white orbs fly towards us. I mean, it wasn't even so much that there was it was just shots of the the uh, the Liberator's bridge and then the the bridge that Travis and the Mutoid are on. We really don't even get many screens. We get, we get the that, screen with the white that, orb. Yeah, we get that diagram that like <laughs> etch a sketch screen that Zen puts up because Blake is drawing this diagram. Explaining to everyone the situation they're in, how they're and by liberators. everyone you mean just Avon yeah, and just Callie, a- and just Avon and Callie, and Callie, and Callie, I guess. 
they're basically in the middle of the three ships that Travis is controlling, and there's some dialogue about how they have no way out and they're trapped, and the only the only possible thing they could do is ram them, which they decide a little bit later. Well, so the okay, this diagram before. Blake was like relying on the view screen to decide when to turn on the force wall because he wanted to turn them on right before the plasma bolts hit them and then turn it off right off to conserve as much power as possible. But then he just co-ops the view screen to show Avon and Callie this diagram. And I was like, wait, so how are Jenna Gan and Villa knowing when to turn on this force wall without this visual on the... On the yeah, plasma don't think about bolts? it too much. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> are they just getting blindly lucky? <laughs> Meanwhile, Travis is sort of commanding the mutoid, but, you know, he's a lot less frantic than Blake because, well, he's in a better position. Yeah. Uh, and until he realizes that the Liberator is about to ram them, and you get this great shot of, and I, I almost <laughs> forgot just how big the Liberator is compared, no, I really like this, because I, I almost forgot how big the Liberator is compared to all of the other ships, and you just see that so well in this shot because Blake makes the decision to ram them, and you see the Liberator, and it's just like, five times the size of this Federation ship. I just like how this shot looked like it was... I mean, I liked the composition of the shot. It was on the back of the Liberator, just zooming towards this other ship, but the Liberator looked like it was like really shaky in flight, which is probably because someone was actually pulling it along. Well, that's not the shot I'm talking about, but that was one of the like best shots in this. There was also another really great shot when they were on the planet where Blake, which is when they notice the pursuit ships mm -hmm. blake looks up and then they're like there's this quick zoom out and then gan and jenna like sort of jump into the shot as well really liked that <laughs> thanks douglas camfield we looked up what douglas camfield did for doctor who like before this and there was really like nothing as notably good as this <laughs> there's the time meddler 15 years beforehand and i, I actually forgot uh, to mention my award <laughs> for this episode <laughs> Because so when they get down to the planet, Blake says down safely. So this was my Terry Nation award for worst rephrasing. <laughs> you know, down safe into down safely. <laughs> down safely. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Down and safe. Sorry, not down safe. Mm -hmm. Terry, Terry, Terry. Yeah. Also, <laughs> Terry Nation calling just a shield, a, a force wall. Once again, him trying to avoid okay. like regular, regular English. <laughs> regular English. <laughs> He's like on this crusade to use as much weird, like non-English English as possible. As much techno babble as possible. And it's not even because force wall actually isn't even techno babble. It's just nonsense. It's not. not it's not even nonsense. It's just a more convoluted I, way I, of uh, saying yeah, shield. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, the, sh the shootout continues, and well, so as they're speeding towards the the ship with Travis on, things are Blake, slowing down. Blake deduces which ship Travis is on; it's the only one that hasn't fired on them yet. And so things start slowing down and getting really weird, and you completely miss a line from Avon because there's just the static in the background. <laughs> hey, you can't hear what anyone's saying, but there's a countdown, and this was just great. I just loved this slow motion scene. <laughs> Because it's not just slow motion, it's also some some lighting effects or whatever, or film effects, and they all look like purple, and they're glowing green, and the next second they're glowing blue, and <clears throat> yeah, it just looked great. Yeah, I'm not really sure how they achieved these film effects, but they were pretty good. I liked them. They actually showed up a little earlier when Girok was looking at the sky, 
and communicating with, I think, Cinefire, the fringes of her hair kind of started to turn green and purple. But Blake and (laughs) Travis get teleported down to the planet and Travis immediately reaches for for his gun and tries to shoot Blake uh, unsurprisingly and Cinefire's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, they they can't move. Um, They can't attack each other and they're rooted to the spot. And then Cinefire and Gearok sort of explain their backstory and why they teleported Blake and uh, Travis to the planet. Almost said Blake and Avon. So they're part of this race who had a name, but I forgot what it was. And they never really bring it up again, so it's not that important what the name of the race was. But they they go on to explain that their race was in a great war, and it was basically just an arms race to see who could devise the biggest and baddest weapon. Yeah, so this is definitely, you know, relevant for the time, but, uh, you know, I'm glad we've put that behind us. Ha 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 ha. War. <laughs> war never changes. And Travis is like, well, how'd the war end? And they're like, oh, we made a big weapon and killed everyone. And Travis is like, so you won? And she's like, it wasn't a victory. The war just ended. And Travis is like, so? The war ended. You won. They're like, we're the only two people of our species left, you dead Look, can you not see this bombed out planet that we're the only two survivors on? Reminds me of... Actually, we don't know if they're the only two survivors, um, but that's what I thought they were. Reminds me a lot of Genesis of the Daleks, really. Terry Nation ripping plot threads from his own stories. Again. Yeah, again, this is just another thing that reminded me of Eureka 7 because there's that show gets really like ecological uh I'd even call it an eco drama <laughs> and uh, and yeah this is just this seemed highly related to that and well so they basically set up the rules of this because they want nonsense. They, yeah, they, they want Blake and Travis to fight mainly for their entertainment there seems to be something else going on here too near the end but you know mostly just for entertainment it's pretty boring just being on this planet like forever they're talking about how they want to teach them a lesson about war i guess because blake's just like yeah i am an an enemy of the federation i'm gonna destroy it if i if i can and they're like ah so you want vengeance and travis says that he'll follow any order no matter what it is and that includes destroying blake and his crew and they're like okay uh okay that's kind of weird, Travis. <laughs> There's a line, something along, this isn't exactly what it is, but something along the lines of like, yeah, you two know how to kill, but you don't really know like what it means to die or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some dumb Terry Nation thing. I mean, I, know, I don't know. <laughs> Mo- uh, Travis is the most Terry Nation of the, of the dialogue, really, in this story. I mean, Avon later. I mean, I, I like that scene with Avon and Villa later, but, like, the dialogue wasn't as great as it could have been. So they basically were like, okay, we're going to send you out into the forest with tools for survival and, uh, well... Yeah, go you, most dangerous game yourself <laughs> yourselves out there. <laughs> they also talk about, like, neither of them have experienced the death of a friend, and Blake's like, uh, actually, I've seen friends die, so that's not true. And they're like, <clears throat> well, you, you're going to have to deal with the death of a friend as well, and they teleport down... Jenna and the mutoid. <laughs> yeah, because Travis, Travis I guess, doesn't, really... doesn't really have any friends. <laughs> so the mutoid being there is is only a benefit to Travis because he really doesn't care if the mutoid dies and she can help him out. But yeah, they they give them weapons, sort of these blunt knives, and they're like, "Yep, there you go." And meanwhile, on the ship, actually, everyone's watching these events because they're also yeah, they're like streaming these events. <laughs> Pay per view. <laughs> Yeah, and everyone on the ship is still the all the ships are still frozen. The only thing that's working are the life support systems and the crews are unfrozen as well so they can watch what's going on. 
But Avon later on tries to get the ship running, but he can't. Yeah, because the overpowered godlike beings on the planet are t- have turned off all electronics in the ships except for life support. Anyway, the rest of the story takes place in the woods. So, you know, re- <laughs> really cheap on the uh, production team's part. You know, just head out into the to, to a nearby uh, forest or whatever. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, whatever works. At least it's a change from, like, the quarry we get every other week. Yeah, yeah, The definitely. Liberator bridge set we get every week. And, you know, a nice change in location for the story itself. I really like how, and, you know, this is something we mentioned early on in the show, is that each episode seems to incorporate a bunch of different things, you know, to keep you from getting bored. So, like, the web had that first segment, and then they got down to the planet. Mm-hmm. And other stories do that, too. So does this one. I thought they were kind of going to kind of drop that thing. <laughs> or they were going to drop that and, you know, maybe go for more linear or straightforward or just set-in-one-location stories, you know, kind of you know, what they do in Doctor Who almost. But, still could. You no, know, but they're still they're keeping <laughs> it up. You know, this, this episode really held my interest. You know, at first it had the... Uh, them going down to the planet, you know, then the shootout, and now the the uh, contest between Avon, or <laughs> keep wanting to say Avon instead of Travis, between Travis and Blake. Yeah. This story reminded me a lot of a later episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I'm 99% certain I'm not the first person to draw this comparison, but there's an episode of Next Generation, which is one of the few I can actually remember because it's been so long since I watched Next Generation. It's basically considered like one of the best episodes of the Next Generation called Darmok. And it's basically the, the, the Enterprise, if you haven't seen it, the Enterprise encounters an alien vessel and they can't communicate with the aliens because like their, their translators aren't work- Well, they think they aren't working, but they, they actually are to an extent. Spoiler. But so the, the alien vessel, in an effort to get them to communicate, beams... Captain Picard of the Enterprise and then the captain of the alien vessel down to the planet and then they basically set up a field that disallows the Enterprise from teleporting Picard out. So basically Picard and this alien captain are trapped on this planet and they have to learn how to communicate with each other. I mean the similarities basically only extend so far as the captains of the two ships are beamed down onto a planet and forced into a situation where they're basically it's just the two of them. Yeah that that seems more like like it's more inspired by this short story from like the 30s probably one of the I, th- I think it's a, a pulp magazine story, actually, but w- like when science fiction was starting to get really popular, you know, they had those pulp magazines. So it's uh, The Martian Odyssey by, pff, I don't remember who it's by, mm-hmm. um, but that story is about uh, an expedition to Mars and one of the people gets sort of stranded on Mars, so I guess kind of similar to The Martian, but he meets a Martian and it's about them like trying to communicate and also survive and get back to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And they, spoiler for that, I guess, um, I'll link it. It's actually a pretty cool story. They can't communicate. Well, they can barely communicate, but it, yeah, it's a really cool story. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not going to spoil the ending of the Next Generation episode because it's actually, like I said, one of the best I mean, episodes of the show. I doubt I'm going to watch it, but you know. <clears throat> no, but I mean, someone listening might want to go watch it if yeah. they haven't. But it, yeah. it has a lot of things that you wouldn't expect going on, and it has kind of a nice ending, I think, so I'm not going to spoil it. And it's really well made, too. So, <laughs> I mean, Star Trek was made on a pretty low budget, too, but they somehow made it look quite a bit better than Blake 7. But then again, it was the 80s, so... I mean, I've never watched Star- Next Generation or any Star Trek, but if there's a lot of twists that also, I think, verifies or makes it even more related to, like, the Martian Odyssey, because, like, in, the, in those pulp magazine stories, and this is actually something we talked about in our Indiana Jones episode of our movie trilogy podcast, Triple Play, which is that in a lot of those adventure and science fiction and fantasy pulp magazines from, like, the 30s, 40s or whatever, mm-hmm. there'd be, like, a plot twist per page or, like, 
the writers would be like, all right, every 200 words, there's going to be another twist. Doesn't matter what it is. Just make it a twist. Just keep people reading. It <laughs> literally doesn't matter. <clears throat> yeah, possibly. I mean, I'd have to go back and rewatch the episode to be... I've actually, I mean, I'm talking about this a lot because I've actually been reading a lot of these pulp stories lately. <laughs> there's this one, I'll link this one too. There's this one called uh, the the Diamond Lens, I think. And that one is just like every hundred words, like it's a new plot. Just like, there's a seance and the guy's investigating a microscope and then he kills a man and then he steals a diamond. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the action never stops, pure adrenaline. Reminds me a lot of the Fast and the Furious movies, actually. <laughs> Now that I think about it, those movies are like every 20 minutes, they're like, let's throw in another plot <laughs> element, which I mean, may not be intentional, but may actually be intentional. Maybe the Fast and the Furious movies are like the evolution of the pulp genre, I but mean, that's, that's a story for another podcast, really. I mean, like I always mentioned, I don't really necessarily think it's important whether or not it's intentional. If it's there, then the connection is there. If there's evidence for it, then it's, then it's related to it. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion, which anyway. I've ranted about enough on <laughs> both this podcast and our other podcasts already. So I don't know. I just wanted to bring up that similarity because it was something I couldn't get out of my mind while I was watching the definitely the second half of the story because uh, you know Darmok takes place on a planet where there's it's not like a wooded where there's planet. No special effects, and it's just a forest <laughs> out back. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a big forest, but it is like they're on the edge of a forest near a mountain and. They, ha- they only have basic survival tools, like none of their technology works, so... Yeah, which is what Girok and Cinefar give them here, mm-hmm. just sort of blunt knives to uh, attack each other with, so... Anyway, Girok's the biggest troll, and it almost feels like this scene was only included to pad out the runtime. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, <laughs> especially because in the scene right before this, they pretty much, right before they send Blake and Travis off, they're like, you two are gonna, we're gonna teleport, in more or less words say that they're gonna bring one of their friends to, uh, you know, make the game more interesting. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, don't do that for another five to seven minutes. <laughs> then this scene happens, and then they immediately do that. Anyway, Blake, we don't really know how big this area that they're in is, but it seems pretty big, and right away, Blake and Travis run into one another, and uh, they try attack each other, but Travis is more successful. And this is, I guess, where you figure out that the knives are just blunt or wooden because... Travis slashes Blake a couple times, but it seems like he just sort of doubles over in pain. Well, Blake's getting like, Blake's getting like oh, distracted no. by Girok. So. <laughs> yeah, Girok is like jumping around and doing her thing. Anyway, and then Cinefar is like, "Wow, Girok, you jerk! It's not how this works." I think Girok is also manipulating time or something to where Travis is able to win because i don't think it's like an explicit thing but girok is like betting on travis and cinefar is on blake's side or something like that i don't necessarily remember anyway so cinefar separates them and beams down jenna and the mutoid gan uh gan blake hears someone in the forest and hides in the bush and it's just jenna seven <laughs> gan seven <laughs> yeah it's jenna he's like jenna i guess this is what they meant by death of a friend eh? and she's like yeah, I mean, yeah, we're watching everything on the ship, by the way. <laughs> really, Hunger Games, <laughs> now that I think about it. <clears throat> Never watched or read, I guess, Hunger Games. Yeah, that always, <laughs> can't believe I said that, actually, because that always pisses me off. Or, uh, more so with classic literature, like, yep, never uh, never watched Crime and Punishment. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> you could watch the movie of The Hunger Games. I'm sure it's actually better than the books, at least for the I mean, first one. I mean, I don't know. 
I watched a trailer for it recently, actually, not because I was interested, but because I was looking at trailer like conventions and things okay. they use across multiple trailers. But classic the Hunger, Hunger Games. Games has like all of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> most <laughs> trailers nowadays are like pretty formulaic, and you can predict beat for beat what's going to happen. Yeah, I actually, this is just a complete tangent, but it's interesting, and I guess it's related to TV and movies, so why not? There's a song from a very unsuccessful, like, early 2000s, I think, war movie, I don't remember what it's called, but I'll find out, that's just used in most trailers nowadays, or most trailers for big movies, mm-hmm. and apparently the movie completely bombed, and... <laughs> everyone hated it but like the soundtrack was apparently really great (laughs) and this song is apparently great for just hitting all the right emotional beats so it's used in a lot of trailers was it uh battlefield earth i don't remember i don't because i know the composer johan johansson just passed away like two days ago which was a huge surprise to everyone because he was like a real big up-and-coming composer but he wrote a, a a song called, and now I'm forgetting what the song's called, but the stars go dark or something like that, or the sky that goes dark. Yeah, it might be that. I, like I that. really don't know. <clears throat> but it actually is used across multiple trailers. When I first heard that, I was like, nah, no way. There's no, It's not the exact same song in every trailer. And like, no, it actually is. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, they go to sleep for the night. Travis makes like a trap, I guess. Yeah, and Blake's like, he's going to make a trap probably. On the Liberator, somebody, I forget who, says that Travis is in a much better position because he's staying still and making a trap, whereas Blake is, is on the move. And Callie's like, no, no, much better to be on the move in a situation like this. And I really liked this line for some reason. I really liked Avon's next line. He's like, I'm going to go to bed. And Villa's like, wait, how can you go to bed? Don't you care about Blake? And he's like, I've never understood the the need to become irrational to show I care. Nor have I understand, understood the need to prove that I care either. So I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that line. <clears throat> Probably one of my favorite moments in the entire show so far. And then he's just like, I plus, can... they're just sitting in trees doing nothing. Yeah, so. that too. <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne's, you know, Yvonne's really growing on me. I can see why he sort of became one of the most popular characters. This is also set up earlier and related to something that happens earlier where Villa compares Avon to uh, Zen in the sense that he acts sort of machine-like, cold and uncaring, I guess. But yeah, I, uh, I can really see that uh, Avon actually does uh, care. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of, but I mean, you know, he, he, uh, he there's a heart of gold buried there somewhere. There's a point when when Blake's talking with the people and he's like, my crew is with me by choice and they cuss to Avon going, mm. uh... <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so Jenna gets captured by the mutoid and Blake's like, yeah, yo, we, Jenna, we, what, what the heck with Jenna? Jenna, come on, man. We, we see the mutoid and Travis making something. We don't know what it is yet. And there's some dialogue between them because the mutoid needs to replenish its plasma supply or whatever. So it kills some bats and like drinks their blood. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, this is my award for this episode. The, <laughs> the Doctor Who award for greatest looking prop in the entire show. Yeah, the just, bats just look like paper mache. It was done really poorly by like a fifth grader. <laughs> <laughs> one of those bats from caves of androzani <laughs> was caves of androzani before this i think it was after this it, it must have, must have been after because this is still during the fourth doctor's run i think but yeah Seven, just, 79 the, fourth the doctor? first time i saw the bat i was just like 
Oh, jeez. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't actually drink their blood. She drinks the bat milk, just like in oh, Caves of no. Androzani. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, there's there's some some interesting, I guess, dialogue between the mutoid and Travis, where Travis asks the mutoid if it like remembers its past, and it says that it doesn't need to, and it's just a it would just be a hindrance. Yeah, they like wipe their memories when they make them mutoids, apparently. Yeah. And Travis is like, I know who you were. You were named Kira. Just Terry Nation taking a regular name and adding a space <laughs> adding in the a middle. Syllable. <laughs> and she's like, okay. And he's like, you really don't care, do you? And she's like, nope, not at all. <laughs> Travis is like, oh, okay. And this kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Anyway, so yeah, she's like, I need like actual blood. So Travis is like, yeah, we'll just capture Jenna. And, and Jenna's all yours. Yeah, so that's when she captures Jenna. Then right after that, yeah, I don't know what the mutoid was thinking. Travis would say because she gets she drinks some of the bat blood, and that sort of replenishes her and, and strengthens her. She's pretty weak at this point. We didn't mention, but she's she's pretty weak. And Travis doesn't allow her to drink any more blood. But where would she get the blood from? Does from she, him, from, I think. Yeah, from, she was is insinuating that she was going to take blood from Travis, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah no." Yeah, I think that's what it, I was <clears> thinking. That's what it was, but I wasn't sure. Anyway, the next morning, Blake and Jenna are on the move again, and Jenna falls into the trap. And well, then, actually, I think the mutoid sort yeah. of captures her. Yeah. And then Blake goes off to her, and that's when there's the trap, and Travis is like, do it, do it now, to the mutoid who's supposed to cut this rope, so the trap falls on them. But the knives are made out of wood, so <laughs> she can't cut through the, the root. I was going to say rope, but I guess it's actually just a root they used fast enough. And, the, yeah. The, we, didn't explain the, we didn't explain the trap. It's just... um. It's just a cage that falls on you, probably spiky, crushes and yeah. crushes you. And we get this tense scene where Blake has to save Jenna before the mutoid can cut the rope, and you don't find out what happens. Like you see the thing fall, but Jenna's safe. They they made it out just in time. I bet Blake starts fighting Travis. Actually, this time, yeah, more equal they, they, footing. They make spears, and that's how they fight. I really liked this fight. You know, the first first fight between. Blake and Travis, first physical fight at least. First fair physical fight because that was that one earlier, like 20 minutes ago. Uh, Alright, I guess. Also, earlier Blake says something that confirms what I had predicted or assumed in Seek, Locate, Destroy which is Blake saying that he leaves Travis alive because he knows how to beat Travis. Yeah, that's a little later. <laughs> that was definitely earlier at the beginning when they were having that first discussion with Cinefar and No, Kira. it was at the end. Actually, no, you're right, it was at the end. Yeah, because it was one of the three reasons that Blake leaves... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they give Blake the option to kill Travis. Well, because that pretty much happens right now. In the fight, Blake is sort of victorious, and he's about to stab Travis, and uh, he, he's hesitant, and you cut to Avon, and Avon shakes his head no. <laughs> Avon's like, do it, do it, come on, do it now. But he doesn't, Blake doesn't do it, both because of the reason you just mentioned, which Blake states in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, also, uh, I don't know. I think Blake's heart is usually in the right place, even though he usually takes an end to justify the means attitude. Mm-hmm. But I think he's sort of just hesitant to kill himself. Well, he also not not says kill he himself as in like commit suicide, but kill like, you know, physically. Because there's a yeah. line earlier, and this this is a line from, taken from, not taken, but it, it shows up in a lot of like war movies or just things that have to do with, with violence is that attacking someone with a knife or you know, a spear or sword or a, a hand-to-hand weapon is a lot different than pulling a trigger or sitting in front of a computer and, and firing a, a 
a gun or something. So, yeah. So Blake doesn't do it, and they're, Blake and Travis are teleported back to where Cinefar and Girok are. And, yeah. And he, he also says, like, oh, yeah, I didn't kill him because I would have enjoyed it. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Cinefar congratulates Blake because he learned something that their race never learned until it was too late. And Girok, or I forget who, Girok or Cinefar, is like, Travis, you learned nothing. Well, yeah, they didn't actually say that Blake learned anything. They actually said, you know, perhaps there was nothing for you left to learn. Yeah, something like that. So, you know, they both didn't learn anything, but it, but it's supposed to be like a contrast because Blake already knew what he needed to know and Travis is just too stubborn to learn anything. Anyway, yeah, more godlike powers here. They've already refueled the, the Liberator's yeah. power cell somehow. <laughs> and so the Liberator goes zooming off and Travis is like, follow them. And he's like... You're the reason I failed, Mutoid. Yeah, we see that we get a shot of the Mutoid like passed out, <laughs> and um, I think one of the, again, Girok or Cinefar questions Travis about this, and he's like, "No, nah, I'll just leave her dead." But I, th- I think Girok and Cinefar again like revive her somehow. They're like, "She's not really dead yet," you know. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't need her though." And they're like, "You're taking her back. We don't want to. <laughs> You're taking her." <laughs> So and then, does. yeah, so he's just like, you're the reason I failed. And she's like, I was weak. I told you I needed blood. And he's like, we'll tell see- that to the court yeah, marshal. We'll see if the court marshal takes that into a, into a account. And, uh, yep, they, they head off. And Girok and Cinefar, uh, playing favorites. Well, I guess then again, Blake won. But still, kind of playing favorites, let the, let's the Liberator escape um, before. Well, that was the terms of the deal at the beginning. The, the terms yeah, of the deal at the beginning were whoever wins. Gets like a head start or something. Yeah. So like if Blake won and killed Travis, then they would let the Liberator escape. Or if Travis won, they would keep the Liberator there so that they could destroy the Liberator. Anyway, that's how it ends. Really great episode. Yeah, I just it was like, pretty good. I, I just liked how there was there were so many concepts just shoved into one story. Usually like when they do that. Kept kept my interest. Um, yeah, I mean that was good, but the better part was how it didn't like it gave all those concepts a good time in the sun and it wasn't just concept, 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 <laughs> listen, well, had, listen to me. Well, it had the ecological stuff, which, you know, I always like, um, good had con- that crime and punishment influence. <laughs> I, I mentioned crime and punishment like five times during this episode, but like, yeah, if you're writing some, if you're writing ecological ideas into your story, uh, then you're pr- necessarily dealing with crime and punishment. So, you know, there you go. Have you read crime and punishment? No, oh. I've read. Gotta read, read a couple it. chapters Gotta read of it. it. One of the best things I've ever read. Yeah, the translation I had was like really dense and uh, boring. Yeah, yeah, read the. There's a new <laughs> translation that came out like I think just two or three years ago. Yeah, read that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will eventually when I get there. <laughs> Although somehow I made it through Sound and the Fury, but I actually liked Sound and the Fury. So, and that book was like pretty dense and difficult to get through. Really. Yeah, as I lay dying is a better, better uh, William Faulkner book. I mean, probably, but I, I don't know. I really enjoyed Sound of the Fury. It should be crime and punishment and... And I don't know. Because you know there's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Yeah, I don't think there's one of those for... I'm sure there is one for Crime and Punishment. I'm sure they wrote more after the huge success that was <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And I'm sure one of them is is Crime and Punishment and something. Because there's yeah. Sense and Sensibility in something else, too. God, gotta read Crime and Punishment, though. Last five pages are like one of the best things I've ever read. The last five no, re- yeah, pages. Yeah, really. Because I mean, in the last five pages, you go, oh, you finally realize, like, oh shit, this is a book about ecology. <laughs> <laughs>
also poses and answers the questions of modern ecology 150 years before anyone even cared. So, okay. is that... Well, maybe there isn't a uh, crime and punishment one, but the sense and sensibility one is sense and sensibility and sea monsters, so that's a good title. But I'm sure I saw that there was a crime and punishment one. I'm going to keep looking off air. Anyway... You can email us at thedoctordecutivevegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, your thoughts on Pride and Prejudice and Blake 7. Sure, that exists. <laughs> a critical essay examining Blake 7 through the lens of Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen novels. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast, and you can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us out on Facebook, Trust Your Doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Project Avalon, but until then, the end. <laughs>